0: Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.
1: Hello and welcome to Movies vs. Capitalism, an anti-capitalist movie podcast. I'm Rivka Rivera.
0: And I am Frank Capello. Rivka, it's officially Barbie week. or Maybe it's Barbie month. I don't know.
1: It's but we're, we're definitely in- Barbie week because if you try and get a ticket, you're still like, I couldn't sit with Tommy we went to go with and it was 9 Damn. yesterday on a thursday we couldn't even get a seat together and we were in we were like our neighborhood movie theater
0: that's wild it's similar for oppenheimer it's been really really tough to get oppenheimer tickets which is i guess it's good for it's good for movies um we'll we'll get into great our conversation great for the later. amptp uh, great for the amptp um well real fast don't want to spend too much time up top here because this was a really fun conversation about barbie that we had but wanted to follow up a little bit on what we were talking about last week uh, with the the actor's strike. So last week we talked about how some independent film productions have been granted, apparently they're not called waivers, because we called them waivers last week, but these are just independent productions, production companies that uh, have agreed to all of... SAG's demands that the AMPTP, the big studios and networks and streaming services have not agreed to. So for example, A24, which is a smaller production company, everyone knows A24 at this point, you know, they're they're one of the most successful, smaller, independent production companies. They've agreed to all of these terms. So A24 productions are allowed to continue. And this is not considered strike breaking. This is not considered scabbing. Um, so we were talking a little bit about it last week in, in terms of like, is it okay or is it helpful or not helpful that some of these A-list actors still get to work on these movies? Because, you know, if they, if they were just all withholding their labor, that would create the most amount of pressure. I wanted to reopen that because we didn't really address like the A24 part of it too much. And we got an email actually from a listener, Ben. I'm going to read a little bit of it right now. Uh, Ben writes, To me, the question is, who are the owners and who is the strike targeting? Is A24 at the bargaining table on the side of the studio system? If so, it's strike breaking to work with them. If A24 is in competition with the studio system, is making less profit and offering actors and writers proportionally better residuals, etc., then definitely work with them. Um, And maybe put some of those earnings towards a strike fund, as Rivka suggested uh maybe the strike becomes an opportunity to cut the studios out maybe a model where overall budgets are lower but a larger piece of the pie goes to the workers so i just wanted to kind of put that out there because we didn't really address that side of it
1: i'm still i will say because i know i had strong feelings i still have strong feelings but those are feelings and i find it still kind of quite confusing and the confusion concerns me i don't know you know like it's like Mm -hmm. the whole thing is a little like my question is and i guess ben's asking this as well like when a24 will eventually have to sell their you know to have it distributed on a streamer
0: yeah or have one of the bigger studios distribute it because yeah yeah, like at some point they're
1: going to have to do that and they're not in SAC, so like Mm-hmm. And I'm curious. I mean, I I know that a lot of I, this is where I just I, more thank you for the questions. More questions. What um, if they agreed to everything that SAG required? Then that means they would. How do they handle residual stuff? Because I know that's a big part of our what we're asking for. Mm-hmm. But like deals later on, get like how can they guarantee that? I I don't know.
0: Sure. No, that's a really good point that, like, I'd imagine most of these productions that have agreed to SAG's or the WGA's terms, um, this is sort of just, like, on the front end of production, like how you're, how you're talking about. Like, this doesn't necessarily account for the distribution of the film. Or if, uh, let's say, a film gets brought to a festival and then gets bought up by a distributor. You know, we've seen a lot of—I've seen a lot of people online basically saying— uh, You've probably seen this little infographic. Is like if A twenty four can agree to everything that the unions are asking for, then it's fucking bullshit that the studios say that they can't afford it. I mean, I guess that's true, and I think that that's valuable. Um, but in terms of the the longevity and strength of the strike and delivering uh, what the actors and writers are demanding. In the timeliest fashion i don't know if this is helpful I'm, I'm really kind of at a loss i don't i like in the grander scheme i don't know if a24 doing things right is good overall for the actors and writers to get what they want from the studios because ultimately that is what needs to happen you know like if every small production company if every indie outlet like if, every, if all of them agree cool but like, still, I don't know what like ninety percent of all of the business happens within the studio system, within the network system, on the streamers. So like, the the things have to be won there in order for working class actors and like the unions themselves to get what they need, so that people can fucking pay rent and eat food. So I someone I, or why doesn't someone very, come
1: out and make like a statement from A Twenty Four, like clarify? mm Hmm. Like, why are we guessing if if this it just because so much of the strike is about the actions we're taking. And to me, if if we have to do this much guesswork around it, it's undermining the cause. Like, I don't I don't get it. I'm not particularly like, yeah, like independent studios. Great. But we know that they have to work with these distribution companies. We know that they're all working together in that system because of the structure Mm. of Hollywood as it exists right now. So there is no real independent studio at that level. It's almost like middle management.
0: Sure, sure. sure. It's almost like uh, you know someone in a, like a like a lower class or a, like a managerial class closer to to the class of where the actors and writers are. Being like, yeah, we we totally get it. It's like that's cool, but like you're unfortunately not the bosses, and it's the bosses that we need to defeat.
1: It feels like we said we're shutting down production, so let's shut down production because the whole th- yeah I just don't think it I don't think it's effective
0: and we might be wrong so if any of our listeners have like a better idea of the inner workings of you know the like how the back end of like film distribution and residuals work and in relation to this strike and companies like a24 feel free to write in because I'm we're, we're willing to learn we're like our opinions are evolving on this uh, on everything as it all unfolds.
1: mm-hmm Just the other thing I wanted to touch on since, you know, we are a anti-capitalist movie podcast and there's some sci-fi shit happening in the world right now. And I think there's a fascinating take that the Internet has had that is very connected to anti-capitalist politics, which is um, our government is basically revealing to us that there has been alien contact, which kind of like personally, duh. Like, I I just am not one who's been like, <laughs> oh, we are, so like, from everything I know of our homies, of our species, I've never felt like we, <laughs> at least I've hoped, like, we are not the best of the best, or the only ones. Of the we, universe? Of the universe. Like, this We're can't the be that the most intelligent that the universe has to offer. So, along those lines, like, none of it's surprising, but I do think what's been really all at once depressing, hilarious, interesting has been that in this moment of time the general reaction has seemed to be like, and like <laughs> are they good? Are we really about to like make alien make alien contact and not have Medicare for all? Are they gonna mm-hmm. pay my bills, buy me groceries, then I don't give a fuck? Like seems to be the general, like at least the internet consensus and then the other part which I, I definitely hear is like oop when they when we have when the biggest things are like barbie movie oppenheimer and like all of this and then aliens it's like what the fuck is our government up to yeah what are we yeah. not meant to be looking at right now
0: <laughs> mhm yeah A- at this point faith and trust in uh, the uh, american government and american institutions is so low that i think people were like yeah, we know you've been fucking hiding this shit. Like, what else is new? We've all been on the subreddits learning about this shit for years. This is just confirming what we all knew. Uh, I mean, if you talk to any like reporter or enthusiast that takes this stuff seriously, they'll they'll probably say like, no, this is actually like a big deal. It's it's a big deal that we've gotten this amount. That, like with the, the little amount of transparency that we've gotten, like with this uh, this congressional hearing with this whistleblower who basically was like, yeah, we have Mm non-human crafts. There were, there were non-human entities in those crafts or whatever he said.
1: Yeah. I mean, I loved it.
0: (laughs) Great television. Uh, You know, it's, it's, they'll be like, no, this is huge. This is a huge amount of transparency, even though it's barely any transparency, but there's been, there's been basically zero for decades. So this is a, a big moment. And I actually recommend if anyone's interested, we interviewed, uh, on Lever Time a few maybe like a month and a half ago Leslie Kane who is like one of the, like the most preeminent UFO and alien journalist in America and she wow. was the one who originally broke this story about that whistleblower Grush who then wow. now testified before Congress and and she even said on the on that interview she was like no this is like the fucking closest like I've been she's like I've been literally doing this for like 30 years and this is the most I've ever learned this is the closest we've ever gotten
1: right I don't think that's not a big deal just to be clear, like, I'm very excited, mm-hmm. I think it's a big deal, no, but I, yeah. I just think in the context of, like, where we are, it's like, okay, sure. we have so many bigger things, you know what I mean, like, whatever the repercussions of it mean, and I also think the fact that you're like, okay, if it is that big a deal, why are they letting us know now? Like, you know what I mean, you're like, ooh, why are you, mm-hmm. why have you been like, we should give them this?
0: I think it was because, like, Congress is actually. I mean, Congress has occasionally done this throughout history, has like gone to the CIA and FBI and been like, hey, what the fuck are you guys doing over there? Like, <laughs> every once in a while it happens. They're like, hey, you guys aren't answering to anybody. Like, can we ask you some questions about what the fuck you guys are doing? So I think this just is one of those moments where it's just kind of like this stuff totally, is I mean, like, the point. Totally. But I mean, like,
1: we have a war going on. I just think that, like, people, this is stuff that it's like yes, very yes. distracting. And, and like, that's helpful if I don't want my general public to be thinking about what I'm doing <laughs> in a war. Sure, sure. It's like a helpful distraction. So I just think and I think people are like aware of that and also tired of it. And just like it, a distraction from climate change, like from the realities of that. They're like, can we give them this? And, we're like, and I like to see that the public's like, no,
0: mm-hmm. we'd rather
1: deal with this. And by the public, I mean my TikTok feed.
0: I think both things can be true. I mean, I think like anyone who's just gonna only care about the aliens and not care about climate change, like that's a person that has their own set of priority issues. That the mm-hmm. like the alien story in and of itself isn't like that's not the problem. But you're right. I think there's like there's so many other things that are so much more important happening. It would be great if we could get any anything anyone talking about Biden declaring a climate emergency totally. other than
1: and I'm excited defiance. about the aliens. But like, yeah, duh. All
0: right. Well, we should get to our conversation about. The one and only Barbie. But before we do, just want to let you all know that this podcast is produced by the two of us.
1: We perform all the necessary labor to make this show happen.
0: And as we're trying to practice our anti-capitalist values, we will not be selling ads on this show. We rely completely on community support to keep the show going. So if you're able to support us, please consider subscribing to our Patreon.
1: For just $5 a month, you get access to our entire back catalog of premium episodes. And you'll be directly supporting this show... You can also leave us a one-time contribution in our tip jar, and you can find all of those links in the episode description in your podcast player or by going to mvcpod.com.
0: You can also help us out for free by leaving a rating and review for this show on your podcast player. It only takes a few seconds, and it is very helpful in boosting the algorithm and getting this show in front of more people, so we really appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with our conversation about Barbie with Jesse Conweiler.
1: Today we have with us a very special guest, Jesse Kwan... <laughs> already can't say your name.
2: You should probably learn my name if you're going to be my
1: best friend. Keep that in, for sure. Jesse Conweiler is a writer, director, and actor whose work has been featured everywhere from the New York Times to the Khan Film Festival. Jesse wrote, directed, and starred in The Skinny, a dark comedy series based on her 10-year relationship with bulimia. It premiered at Sundance and won a Webby. And currently she is developing a TV series about Jewish Polish teenagers during Hitler's rise to power and she has a new documentary coming out titled Just the Tip. Uh, this documentary explores circumcision from a Jewish feminist perspective. And full disclosure, she is my BFF Jessie. Welcome to Movies Versus Capitalism.
2: Thank you. It's the Cannes Film Festival, like a Can Did I
1: say Cannes?
2: <laughs> it's not. Well, I was con. no. I
1: was in. Inter- it was in, in purpose because it's not con Shaka Khan. No,
2: I know. It's my fault. I know. Yeah. It's okay. not Shaka Khan. It's Dude, Yeah. Can. Can.
0: Good to know. Good to know.
2: So excited to be here, guys.
0: Thank you for being here, Jesse. Uh, a little context for the listeners. Uh, Jesse was actually our very first episode that we recorded. Um, but then, when I went to edit it, we had some audio issues. Also, Rivka and I were bad at hosting, so I was like, "I don't, I don't think we should release this." Um, and Jesse's kind enough to grace us with her presence yet again. So thank you, Jesse.
2: Just, just have some sim- simmering resentment about wasting my time. But then I thought it's very anti-capitalist to do a podcast in the middle of the day that has absolutely no <laughs> advantage to me or my career. There you go. (laughs) You're right. Well, Jesse,
0: so before we get into our discussion about this movie, you are a card-carrying member of the Writers Guild of America, which is still on strike. We are recording this on uh, Friday, July 28th. I doubt the strike will be resolved by this upcoming Tuesday, so... um, just wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience so far on the picket lines, what sort of like the stakes of the strike have meant to you and what your personal experience as a writer in Los Angeles has been.
1: It, it's been
2: a really incredible experience to be part of this writers' guild strike. I do not consider my, I I'm dumb. I'm not very political. Um, you know, all March, <laughs> take the picture and then go home. I, I never really considered myself radical and activist. Um, yes, I'm a guild member. That means that I can go to free screenings and get health insurance, uh, but was never, like, never had an active relationship with the Writers Guild or any kind of labor movement. Um, And this has, you know, we're all writers. So of course, we're all just like in it for the narrative. And and you couldn't really write a better movie. You know, it's just like, we have the opportunity to take on the companies that are ruining the world. Like everyone agrees Mm. that I don't care what your politics are or what your gender is or whatever. Apple sucks. Amazon sucks. They are evil. Um, And we have the opportunity to take on these monsters and to take on AI, which is infiltrating or going to infiltrate every single um, other career. I think what's happening with the Writers Guild is endemic of What's happening in America right now, the disappearance of a middle class, you know, stretching people beyond, um, you know, people are starving, people are uh, not being respected, stretched to their limit, and then being made to feel like it's their fault, you know, I Hmm. coming out of Corona, you know, I've been lucky to make a living as a writer, I've been in the union for like 10 years, and coming out of Corona, it was just like, Dude, like I, and I would call Riff Pen and be like, I'm a piece of shit. I can't get staffed. I can't sell this thing. I sold this thing and my quote is X, but they're saying, nah, we're going to pay you $2, you know, and just mm. going like internalizing it and being like, wait, it's my fault. I mean, I'm a writer. So self-loathing is my DNA. But I think what's been incredible about this strike is, you know, being in community and being with people and having the kind of leadership that we have, which of course there are people, they're not perfect but our leadership is so transparent and has and and listens to its overall members and has a distilled very um cohesive message and that is we are not going to take this shit and we're not going to just settle for bare minimum we are going to take back our lives and we are going to take back our worth and so that's what we're really fighting for and that um you know they're on brand with their messaging and that's why we're out here you know this many weeks into the strike with nobody is interested in going back, you know, any other time there's been a strike looming or the thing with the agents, you know, last year, everyone's just like, how can we make a deal as quickly as possible so that we can all go back to the status quo? And Mm. we're all out here being like, no, this sucks. And like, it's not just people like me, you know, I, I've met so many showrunners, so many people who are like, I'm like, wait a minute, dude, like I want your career. And they're like, well, let me tell you what the past three years of my life has been. I have two kids. I work seven days a week, 18 hours. I have no support staff um, and I'm fucking miserable. So I'm like, well, what am I fighting for? If the people who have what I want are fucking miserable. So um, it's a very exciting time. It's a scary time. Um, But it's also just like, I mean, have you ever heard me talk Mm -hmm. about something this passionately besides love is
1: blind, Rivka? Like it's,
2: you know, we're all (laughs) getting radicalized. I (laughs) mean,
1: I will say Jesse's, being self-deprecating but your work is deeply political and you make like you've always been that's what i've loved about your stuff is like you've always talked about the political from a personal angle and i think that's like that's the kind of filmmaking that's the kind of art that we need i also love that um you brought up this point which we kind of toss back and forth and i think it's so healthy like we'll just always or you wrote this to me the other day in terms of the sag strike and you're like listen to this like just a reminder it's not you it's them that is, like, one of the kindest things <laughs> and why, like, talking about capitalism is endlessly important for people's mental health. It's so easy to default think, like, I'm the problem, I'm the problem, and it is important. Like, the mini room thing is, like, was a very, like, um, people didn't understand it, weren't talking about it. It's such a revelation to be like, yeah, it's not you. They shrunk the size of these rooms. Like, it's not anyone. It's, like, the whole industry changed, and they were pretending it was, like – the way it's always, you know, that it was normal and it was fine. And so it's just been really healing, I think, for for labor all over to be like, we're not taking this shit. We're talking about it.
2: Yeah. And it's like, you you know, it's the same arc, I think, that we see times, time and time again, which is, I mean, I specifically think it's Silicon Valley that has ruined our business. This was a hundred-year-old business, started by Jews, that, you know, was not perfect, but there was, a, there was a unified goal. We want to make quality work and we're going to get rich. You're going to make a good living. We all win. We all eat, right? This was like, that's why everyone comes to LA to make it. Um, you can have a great creative life and have money and live well. Where else can you really fucking do that? So the fact that Silicon Valley has come in and been like, we're going to gigify. We're going to take away everything that you love about this work because we don't understand it and we don't respect it and we don't even care if it's good. Is it cake? That's all we care. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we do not care about the quality. We just have different moral centers and that they do not have a moral center. Yeah.
0: That's such a good point about the the tech broification of Hollywood. I was just listening to uh, another WJ writer talk about this exact dynamic, um, specifically about how, Uh, the streaming services are starting to purge content from their platforms as a basically like a tax loophole maneuver, you know, and they've all been doing this, Disney, Warner Brothers, Discovery. They just take these shows or movies and they're just like, they're gone. They don't exist anymore. They're destroyed. Um, And now we will claim a loss because of that lost product and a potential tax write-off. And um, this writer said like, you know, years ago, a studio head or the executives who were in the business of like making quality films and TV and who had these relationships with these filmmakers would have at that time been like, no, 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 we can't just like throw this person's entire movie away. We'll lose that relationship. But now that Hollywood has been like techified now you have executives who are like, well, we don't give a fuck about our relationship with this filmmaker. Take the tax write off. Like, right. we're in the business of making money and nothing else.
2: Exactly. We answer to the market. And I'll just say, you know, I was talking to my Uber driver the other morning, shout out Benjamin, who got me to LAX when the 105 was shut down.
0: That's tough. That's a, that's a <laughs> tough ride.
2: <laughs> he was awesome. He did back roads. But, um, what, you know, I asked him, yeah. how do you like, you know, how is it with Lyft? And it's the same story every time. In the beginning, it was great. In the beginning, they lured us in, you know, that's why all, they got all these cab drivers to quit. Like, go, come drive for Lyft, come drive for Uber. It was, it's too good. Like, it, it, it was such a good deal. And then what What do they do? They slowly, 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 like termites, chip away at, at. okay, you can't do this. You have to do this. You have to fix your own car. No, we gotta have rides for this, dah, 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 Until you're just left there completely isolated. And and desperate and being like oh it must be my fault and that's what's mm. happened in the business you know it's and that's what's so powerful about the strike is that we're all in the fucking same room sweating our asses off in Burbank being like oh right it's not me this is mm. fucked and I think my thing that I'm always preaching that I told to every WGA board member to you know take back to Pacific Palisades where all the rich writers are what we need to do like what's what's the, we've identified the problem what's the solution. We need to have worker-owned content. We need to have all of these producers who have, they make, you know, TV. Waller-Bridge makes $20 million a year. Good on her. But like, now it's your responsibility to invest mm. in the next generation of yous. And we all own the content. And I'm experiencing that now with this organization reboot that I'm doing the documentary with. Like I own hundred percent of it. They have incentives for it to do well But it is my I it is my product and I made it and it's like a win fucking win. So that's my vision. You know, we go back to the United Artisties.
1: Well, speaking of the commercialization Uh, of Hollywood, Mm -hmm. we're here to talk about the one and only Barbie movie. Hey Barbie.
0: Uh, a full-blown cultural phenomenon at this point. So a little info about this movie. Uh, This was released on July 9th, 2023, directed by Greta Gerwig, written by Gerwig and uh, Noah Baumbach. Produced by Heyday Films, Lucky Chap Entertainment, NBGG Pictures, and Mattel Films. Distributed by Warner Brothers. This movie stars Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, America Ferrara, Kate McKinnon, Issa Rae, Rhea Perlman, and Will Ferrell. And narrated by the one and only Helen Mirren. As of... July 27th. This film has grossed a worldwide box office of $516 million history making as it is the highest grossing female directed film at the domestic box office. Um, and a brief synopsis of this film for any listeners who haven't gotten the chance to see it, although we do recommend, actually we'll, we'll see if we recommend going to see it, uh, In Barbie Land, a matriarchal society where women excel in various professions, Barbie faces an existential crisis after realizing her owner's insecurities have affected her appearance. To find a cure, she ventures into the real world with Ken, who discovers a new sense of purpose. Uh, Meanwhile, the Barbie's power is usurped by the Kens, leading to a struggle for equality. And then with the help of allies, Barbie leads a revolt, restoring balance and embracing change in Barbie land. In the end, she decides to become a human and return to the real world with a newfound sense of self.
1: I know I had feelings just through that synopsis. (laughs) So some historical context for this, what's happening right now in the world as this film is coming out. Um, It is 2023. July was in fact the hottest month recorded On the planet Earth. President Biden is, in fact, our president. We are, as we just discussed, in the midst of historic labor union strikes, SAG-AFTRA, WGA, still striking against the AMPTP. There have been 23 school shootings this year in the U.S. so far, and we are still in the midst of the Russian-Ukrainian war. Welcome to Barbie Land. Barbie! (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, if you love this movie, just don't even listen to this episode,
2: because I can already (laughs) tell Ripka's going to rip it apart. I got a text chain last night during
1: I was texting you like during the movie and I got looks.
0: I'm so curious to hear both of your thoughts.
1: I think you should I think we should like co- it's all about context. So like
2: I, I'm coming to the movie. I It's like hilarious that you guys are even covering it on this podcast just to give you a note live on air. It's just like it's the most marketed. We have been Barbie has been shoved down our face for the past year and it's like. How can you, how can this be anti capitalist? It's the most, 150 marketed, like everything million I look dollars. At Barbie. was the
1: marketing budget, 150 million dollars. I mean, I want to
2: talk about the things I loved about it because I did like some things about it, but I do kind of feel like it's the Biden of movies. Like, this is Ooh. feminist. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is good. And you're like, but she's still 100 pounds and blonde. But all I want to do after I see this movie is buy shit. So it's like, mm. but it's Biden. You know, Mm -hmm.
0: usually we start with asking our guests, like, why did you choose the movie? We asked you to do this movie for with us because of everything you're talking about. And the movies we talk about on this podcast aren't necessarily anti-capitalist, but we just talk about them through that lens. So like we had to talk about this because of everything you're saying, because at the end of the day, this is just a giant piece of IP consumer product and I don't know. For me, I think there's like there's kind of two lanes we could talk about it. There's sort of like uh, the movie itself and then like the movie as a as a consumer product. So I just just like on its face. What was your movie going experience? Did you have fun? Did you laugh? Did you did you think it was generally good?
2: Going into this movie, I was like, okay. I told my boyfriend, I'm like, I have to call myself out because what's coming up for me is like, I pitched on a doll movie years ago and I had a very similar idea. So I'm having some jealousy. And to me, this is a very capitalist value that I don't feel with other male directors of like, well, well, she's the female director. She got to do it. Like it's Mm -hmm. this scarcity mentality. So it was kind of interesting going into it with that mentality. You know, I, it's very simple for me when I watch movies, there's just a very easy barometer for me. And that is whether or not I realize I have to pee. Um, so there's just <laughs> certain movies where it's like parasite. I didn't have a bladder. I didn't have a body. I'm just so <laughs> in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and this movie was there. Uh, there were so many fun mo- moments and I almost feel like the it was a, on, a, on a micro level. The movie so worked them. There were moments and scenes and jokes and, and shot and the way it was edited, like the, and it was like, oh my god, yes! Like I felt these sparks of joy, but there was not the connective story. And I, I think there's multiple reasons why it didn't
1: work for me. But I did go, oh, I have to pee. So mm. if that answers your question, that's yep. a great point. I too did. I noticed I had to pee at a certain point. I was like, oh, okay, I could go. If like if someone's looking you to
2: leave, like. We suck for not loving this movie. Like, I, no, I every one of no, my girlfriends don't. texted me. No, every one of my girlfriends texted me, besides you being like, I cried. Oh my God. And I'm like, are we just
1: fucking like old crows? Like, why were no, we not? I think all, swept I, I remember the whole time watching my experience was like, you can hold multiple things. You can hold multiple things. I know I went into the film already triggered because of the history that I have with Barbie and just the awareness of like, what's yeah, your history with Barbie? I just, I always had Barbies because that's what you were told in this culture, like was the standard of doll that you wanted to have. And I didn't feel good. Like Barbies did not make me feel good. And actually there was a study soon as 2021 where it shows five to nine year old girls who feel like satisfied with their own body proportions after playing with Barbie. Like it hasn't gone away. It doesn't matter how many professions a Barbie has. If, I just have a history of being like, that made me feel like I needed to look in a totally unrealistic manner. And therefore, like, I, my inner child was like clutching. Like, I didn't have that feeling of like, yay, I can wear all these clothes. I'm like, I don't need Barbie to feel free in fashion. Because you know what? At the end of the day, like a movie
2: is a um, physical experience. It's a primal experience. That's why we go to the movies. And I totally agree with you, Riv. Like at the end of the day, Say whatever you want about feminism. I'm staring at her body for two hours. So what if she's fucking crying? So what if she's crying? What do you have to cry about, you skinny bitch? Like that's and that's
1: not my head. That's my no, no. Of course. So I was going in with that awareness. Why are you telling this old woman she's pretty? You're a pretty bitch. And there were many times about of this that made me like feel like ooh, extra gaslighty. Of like we're aware that if we wanted to make this point, we would cast someone else. But we didn't, ha ha ha. And you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna give you a black president and she'll
2: have no arc of her own and we're gonna give you a chubby Barbie and she'll say nothing. It's just like fate. It's just the, the presentation of diversity rather than right. um, embodied diversity. But I'm curious, now that this is my podcast, I'm curious, mm-hmm. Frank, what your point of view is because you don't, did you play with Barbies? Cause we have all this baggage.
0: Thank you. I know everyone was uh, dying to get to my opinion on this topic. I don't have a personal relationship with Barbie. I have a sister. She played with Barbies, so they existed in the household. Um, I was honestly unaware of sort of like the baggage that accompanied Barbie and, you know, the 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 adverse effect that Barbie has had on generations of women for these impossible Beauty standards—that—that's um, stuff that I didn't really become aware of until you know, like I was an adult. So I was kind of just entering into this movie. I was—I I entered in skeptical. I was like, okay, this is a product. This is as like, this is as much of a product as you get in Hollywood. I have a lot of uh, disdain for the way that the push for IP-based products has infiltrated hollywood uh especially i think like the marvel movies had a ton to do with that but we're now seeing more and more of uh, like the the tetris movie or the fucking whatever bullshit product right movie that and they want you to know on. um
1: because at the top they have like mattel films did the you whole see the spicy cheeto movie what?
0: No, no. But that one was I, I was interested in because I was like, at least this isn't like white people. Yeah, uh,
2: that's true. <laughs> and I
0: also eat hot Cheetos all the time. So I'm like, I am genuinely <laughs> that's I, for you. I was like, I'm, I'm actually curious about this one. And that's not to say that these movies can't be good. Like I have a lot of love in my heart for the Lego movie. Let's yeah. like, you know, we'll say, um, which is in this, but it's the same thing. So I, I, I have a lot of grievance that uh, in order to be creative, you have to also incorporate these products because these are the things that uh, contain the least amount of quote-unquote risk for the studios to produce, which then, you know, caps uh, the amount of original stories that are able to tell and, the, and budgets going to those stories. So I entered in very skeptical, um, but I do got to say, I just like, I had a fun yeah. time. I had a yeah. really, I, and I have a lot of like critiques of the film, like, on the narrative itself, but then, at like, its role as a product, as a consumer product. But just as, like, as a movie-going experience, fucking... My, I mean, I went on opening night. Everyone was dressed up. The energy was popping. It was a great, like, movie-going experience. Um, and I had a lot of fun. I had, I had a lot of laughs. It really got me in a, a lot of places. I, I wouldn't say I loved the movie. Like, um, I had issues with it but I I did enjoy it and and then we'll get it more into like the political stuff at the end of the day but ultimately okay, I thought it was fun. I enjoyed
1: it too I also thought it was fun during and I was like I'm gonna uncross my arms I'm gonna take this in I'm gonna have fun but then it ended and the people next to me were like that was the best movie I ever saw and I was like I can't we're done we're fucking no, doomed fuck we are so we're well, doomed well, like I, I- <laughs> but, but how old were they? Because, like, to Frank's point, I think
2: it's been so... My a- age. Well, I think it's been so amazing to see theaters full and to see people excited. And it makes me nostalgic yes. and happy for a time where, like, I was thinking about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Jurassic Park and, like, the movies that came out. I'm a little older than you guys, but, like, that where everybody, like, monoculture, everyone's mm-hmm. talking oh. about something and everyone's on board, and it's touching everybody, and we're all finally, like, talking about the same thing because the internet is so siloed. So I think that was really cool, and I was like, yeah, Greta got this movie fucking through, and, like, she had to probably fight for it and got to tell the story that she wanted to tell and got to have the word gynecologist in a movie. Like, this is all, you know, got to have a trans actor playing a doctor like all of these little things where you're like she fucking
1: did it like she yeah did this I mean thing. I'd be curious um, how much she had to fight for those things because I felt very much my experience was just like this was co-opting this is like what we've seen co-opting lingo and ideas like th- this was a giant ad campaign and we were lucky that they like pulled really good artists but I feel like the intention of doing so was like not wanting to make any real statement, knowing that we could have this plastic feminism, that nothing was really going to be that radical. There's no real radical messaging in this film, knowing that like, and of course, to the to the right there is. Like, you know, but I, that was what really scared me. I was like, this pushed us into this place of like, it's blue versus red again. We're going to go back to binary culture we're fighting. And if you're not with us, like if you don't love Barbie movie, Are you Republican? Like, what's your fucking problem? Like, to me, you're bringing up a a fascinating point,
2: which is what is the responsibility of an artist? Like, there are some people that are going to take away from this movie certain things. And there's some people that are just not going to get it. And it's like they're not going to pick up on the nuance and like, actually, patriarchy is bad for men. You know, it's like, actually, nobody wins in the patriarchy. Like, these nuances are going to be lost in a lot of people. So what is the responsibility of art to mm. its audience? Well, especially now when people can weaponize mm. everything. You know what I mean? So easily. So it's like...
0: When the Ken's weaponize? Yeah, totally.
2: Love so good. <laughs> let me just talk about... Well, let me just talk about myself so I stay interested. <laughs> My circumcision documentary, like, I know there's people that are are very anti-circumcision that are going to come out and be like, See? a Jews critiquing circumcision. It must be evil. And
1: da, da, da. And it's like, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. But like, you can't mm-hmm. help what people take from your movies. I'm so with you on that idea of like, it's a really interesting question of like, how much is the artist or the filmmaker responsible for like, making sure their audience picks up on those nuances. I just wasn't sure that there was a lot of nuance there. And I'm curious if you thought there was nuance in this film
2: not nuance, but like moments, like when she was like closing her eyes and looking at the, feeling the trees and having just a mindfulness and realizing that crying felt good was hard, but also felt good. And um, the mom realizing like, I don't have a, you know, I felt like there was a little bit of some moments where I was like, oh, this is not just status quo. And maybe I'm happy with just like, crumbs but also being like oh she snuck in you know um maybe not nuance but like emotion and and complexity mm. and um you know i haven't thought about this movie since i've seen it um except <laughs> wanting to buy <laughs> shit like the happiness i would get when i go to my friend's houses and they have all their burby stuff and i'm like it just it's like our cat yeah. you know mm. um But what did you think of the scene where she was like, I know we're jumping all over the place, but where she was just like, to be a woman, um, you know, you can't be slutty, but you have to be this. And I was like, oh, it's interesting that the solution,
1: there's no solution to that except just to like, I'm so glad you brought that up. And I know I will make room for Frank for for our Ken, but I that made me think I wrote that I actually pulled my phone out to write down. Because that was really interesting that it was like they were she was basically saying, like, by being aware of cognitive dissonance required to be a woman, you rob the patriarchy of its power. And I was just like, that is like the capitalist realist theory in a lot of way of like, if we talk about it and we say it's a thing that that's enough. So like the reference to Margo Robbie being cast, like, it's enough that we mentioned that we cast her. But you're like, but you still can't wait what it felt like those moments actually made me feel really gaslit. Like, oh, actually we have no power so we might as well sit back and enjoy this movie and be happy that they're naming the thing but we're not actually going to do it. you know again like you said president biden of movies like he said all the right things but let's ignore the fact that he's financing willow project and it's the fucking hottest month in the fucking world's history
2: what about you frank yeah frank what what about yeah what what do you think
1: about that
0: well first i want to just uh paint a little additional context for anyone who hasn't seen this movie because we mentioned patriarchy we've mentioned the speech so like the 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 main plot conflict in this movie is that when barbie and ken go to los angeles ken discovers the patriarchy so like he's he's lived in he's lived in barbie land his whole life he's lived under a like a so-called matriarchy so when he gets to la and he they go to century city and he sees like toxic men acting like douchebags he's like oh shit, we're allowed to do this? And then basically takes the concept of patriarchy back to Barbie land, and the Kens uh, assume power under this new patriarchy. Uh, and then down the line, Barbie meets America Ferrara, who is a real human person and her daughter, and America Ferrara gives this speech about how difficult it is to be a woman. So like that is all the table setting for what we're talking about. So my thoughts, I, I-, I completely agree with, Uh, With with both of you. And I think like I think calling this this the Biden of movie like the Biden of feminist films or like the Democratic Party of feminist films is right on. And I think this movie is like emblematic of what is wrong with modern liberals and modern liberalism, which is just like pretty hollow identity politics, which are sometimes backed up with like some substantive organizing or policy proposals or whatever. But it's really just like it's if we point out all of the problems and we talk about them and we say, like, it's not cool that men are mean to women and oppress women. And it's not cool that white people oppress black people. If we just say that and we say it enough and over and over again, then eventually it'll stop without addressing any, any of the underlying economic or material conditions that actually lead to most of that inequality or oppression and i i feel like that's what this movie was in essence on multiple levels because it's like one it's like it's like this movie is feminism trademarked and uh at the same time it is a product so it's like it's commenting on all of like the like the the feminist patriarchy stuff while not really acknowledging the fact that like hey i'm a huge
2: fucking commercial you know what movie i feel like fucking did it right jesse and the pussycats Yes. Yes. Like that, because here's the thing, guys. Like at the end of the day, I voted for Warren. I am all about being brainwashed. I wanted to stay in Barbie land. Like if you're going to make the Barbie movie, stay, just let's stay in Barbie land. Because I didn't think from a story perspective, like when she was like, I want to be real. I was like, "Now." Nah. I'm good on that. Like I want, I wanted to stay as a Barbie. Like it, it, I didn't see the appeal of going to the real world. And it was like a half-baked attempt. And like, as, did you guys know I'm in the industry? As a writer, it, there there was a point, I'm curious about y'all's experience, but there was a point watching the movie where I'm like, I'm in it. Okay, so the girl is, is doing her emotions and acting out. So she has to go to the real world to find her. Oh no, no, no she has to bring her back okay, but now Ken, but now, and it was just like too many story points that mm-hmm. were like, and I had to just literally go, you know what, stop trying to figure it out. Like just enjoy the ride. Um, yeah, and I yeah. just feel like she should have committed to the ride more because she, there was just, it was like trying to beat 20 different movies. And I know you loved everything everywhere all, all at once, but that was my critique of that movie too. I was just like, it was like, they did a bunch of coke and they're sat in a room and they go, oh yeah, and then we'll do this. And then she'll add this and then she can't go there. She can't go there. And it's like streamline it. Pick one yeah. idea and like see it through, which is what Parasite did. And it just fucking mm. worked on every level. So... Yeah, Simplify. well, I think that no,
1: I think that's so interesting. Well, just that you said about like wanting to stay in Barbie land, because I think that that was like actually like part of the the real world political ramifications of this movie and like what kind of freaks what I felt like when it ended, like I had a good time on the ride and then it ended and I was like, I don't feel good. And I think it's because it really did feel like that whole remember the whole like Ken brainwashes the Barbies somehow in like and you're right, like I didn't really understand. There wasn't a lot of logic to things. And but it was like, it's okay, it's fun. But like they I think they wanted us to leave, like wanting to be in Barbie land where the matriarchy is literally the patriarchy in pink. Like I didn't really see any tangible differences between the two. And you saw that in the fight between like Ken and the Barbie. Maybe it was that like under Ken's patriarchy, you're like the women were. Ken's didn't even have homes
0: no one's no one's sheltering <laughs> the tens in this in this matriarchal but we're utopia. like who cares
1: because women run rule the world there was just no like yeah. there was and I'm like that's fine if we want to be like we but i do think that there's something scary about the fact that they knew this like we knew this during the pandemic we're like we're about to get a whole amount of media that's just going to be about delusion not being connected to the real world, feeling good. I mean, right before the pandemic, we had the opposite. Like That's when we had our uh, parasites and that's when we had our squid games. And when there was all this media that was really like inside of it, talking about it, pandemic happens. We're like, because escapism. it was Trump because it was Trump. Be- and, and then it was like, then we got Biden and now we're ready for Ted Lasso. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, because they're like, it's a problem to our, our, this, Literally, this helps the corporate agenda is if you believe that this is OK, like we're going to paint the White House pink and it's all good. And I think that like a lot of people bought are buying into that. And that freaks me the fuck out. I think you can have fun and also be like, this is not good for the world.
0: I have a question for both of you. I, I listened to a, a few film podcasts and one of them was like pretty normie lib shit. And on that one, someone, one of the hosts said she was like, you know, I know that this is just a giant IP commercial for a Mattel product, but isn't it so great that we have this feminist message in a product that is this big and this commercialized that is going to reach this many people? Isn't that better than this kind of message being in like, I don't know, like a mid-tier indie comedy that Greta Gerwig would have made that only like one one hundredth of the audience would have seen. Isn't it better that we yeah. have this message in this big Hollywood IP film than a smaller movie? And I don't know. And they raised that question. I was like, I don't know. Because like, I, it, like one, is the, is the movie's like feminist message strong enough? Um, and two, is it better that it is in this, let's say, you know, pristine Barbie box rather than in like a grungy indie film?
2: I can't even pretend to like know what's best for the culture. Like I can only speak in with my hula hoop. But for me, it's like the Barbie, um, just the symbol of Barbie of like a skinny blonde will never inherently feel empowering to me. I think it's just like she did the best version of what she could. And like, it's not for me to say whether or not it should, should exist. But to me, the thing of like You know, I was like, fuck, dude, I'd rather it have been the Cabbage Patch dolls. At least they had thighs, you know, just like a little bit (laughs) Um, or (laughs) even the American Girl dolls. They don't it doesn't personally connotate such uh, such like disassociation with my own body. Like Barbie is never going to feel empowering to me. And I think any attempt to do that is what we got in those side
1: characters who are not real. Um, They're not real women. So. And maybe it's to your point about like the stream, the the actual vagueness in some of the storytelling and that it was a lot of really fun jokes. But I was left being like, wait, what was the message? Like, what is the feminist message? Like, you know what I mean? And even when people talk about it, they're like, it's a feminist message. I'm like, so what is the message? Do you know what I wish Barbara would have done? Like yeah. the
2: the or whoever the Rhea per- Perlman played, like I wish she would have literally done a doll of what her actual daughter looks like like we should figure out what her because I guarantee you she doesn't look like fucking Barbie no you know um I just yeah we need to figure out because I'm sure you know she's Jewish I'm sure she has a mustache (laughs) and wide hips
1: and yeah it was also like very you're like I was left there being like why did she create this fucking like we were left to fill in those blit, you know, they were pointing out really obvious things, but like not pointing out the obvious things that really would have been important to discuss.
2: What was the whole, like, what was the whole beginning where it's like, Barbie created the perfect, helped create the perfect world, and then we left. Wait, what's happened? I'm like, what, I didn't, I, yeah, that's just, that's a note for Greta.
0: I didn't mind sort of, like, the yada yadaing of, like, the rules and laws of this world. I actually kind of appreciated that. I kind of was like, we're not going to spend much time explaining, like, like how the portal from Barbie land to the real world works. Like, And I was like, you know what? That's fine. I don't give a shit about that. Where it did lose me was what you two are talking about, like, sort of once objectives and arcs kind of got a little bit muddled. And I was like, wait, what does Barbie want? She, like... She wanted to just not feel sad. Now she's just, like, not sure who she is. Same sort of for America Ferrara. I just kind of, like, at a certain point, I'm like, wait, what, what, are, what, what are they trying to do? What is the object? Other than, like, now deposing the Kens, what is the objective? And I think you're both right. I think the feminist message ends up becoming muddled. And I guess, I guess my takeaway as the, the Ken was, like, the, the message was being a woman's tough. It's complicated and tough. Like that that was the most that I got out of this. And I don't know if that is uh enough personally.
1: Which was so funny because they they never show it as to, to be fucking honest. I'm like, I would love to live in Barbie land. I would have loved to live in Kenland. Like nothing about that world looks tough. Are you kidding? They don't even have to deal with food. No one's eating. Like there were no consequences. It didn't fucking matter. Like what changed when what really changed consequentially when like Oh, now all the Kens are in the government, and I get why, it.
2: Well, why did she want to? Why did she want to go to the real world? Like, I didn't understand that either. Like, why? Like, why not just stay in Barbie? So band? she could wear a tan blazer. Yeah, I
0: don't. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know. I don't know wh- when it turned from Barbie. So like, this is I guess like a char- like a character narrative arc issue. Is like, I don't know when it changed from like I just don't want to be sad to like. I want to be a real person. I don't know when that shift happened.
2: And I feel like with the Margot Robbie thing, like, you know, and them trying to be tongue in cheek and be like, if you're trying to cast somebody who thinks they're ugly, don't cast Margot Robbie. The whole thing is again, with, with, um, you know, actors are avatars for us. Like we are having, when we are in the theater, we are on that journey. We are having an embodied experience. And so what was missing for me is there's still a layer where I, again, not, not consciously, but deep, deep within where I'm like, if you look like that, you are never sad. You are never, you you never have problems and everything always works out for you and it's easier for you. So if you're going to cast Margot Robbie, I need to, you need to earn that she is really suffering in that body. And again, mm. I'm not saying logically, I'm just
1: like, literally make her ugly. No, that's you know such I mean? a good point. And ha- then make- on top of it, she's only feeling those feelings because she's channeling the feelings of like, a Latina woman.
0: I didn't even think about that, that this actually isn't like, <laughs> it's not really Barbie's interior life that is experiencing this, this character development. It is the emotions of America Ferrara, who is not Margot Robbie. Uh, that's a really good point that I did not Well, the only about. one
1: who has the strongest, like the takes that I was with, are the daughter, that they keep kind of being like, ugh, oh, shut up and like dolls. Like, you know, when she, when they come and those girls are supposed to be um, the the, the brats – they're, like, named after the Bratz dolls who were actually created to, to like, allow for more ethnicities, more races in the doll market. And so, like, they actually pin that again, that, like, scene where she goes up to the daughter and the daughter's like, you're fucking fascist, Barbie. I don't want to talk to you. That was like, oh, are we going to go somewhere? But then those those ideas were never picked up. And to me, the saddest right. part, I was like, so we're literally watching this – girl who like actually knew her shit like once again be like they're like no shut up come to Barbie land and her arc was never and then I'll shut up Frank her arc was never um
2: you never it was never earned how she got how she started drinking the Kool-Aid of Barbie land she was just in a pink dress instead of her hoodie and you're like what the fuck
0: and I think it's because that scene where the the daughter the Gen Z daughter dresses down Barbie only serves to address the historical criticism of Barbie. That was it. They needed one scene for for one character to be like, Barbie, here's all the reasons you're fucking problematic. And here's all the harm that you have caused to women over generations. And once we say it once, we won't have to address it again. And we'd actually kind of, Cleaned up our reputation just by including this scene. So like that's the end of this. And conversation. then she
2: cries, and we're actually gonna make that character kind of annoying. We're gonna make her <laughs> a gemmy yeah. annoying. You know what I mean? No, exactly. And also, did you guys? Go- were you guys not so freaked out that you were in all of a sudden in a fucking Dodge commercial with that car? <laughs> that America was driving.
0: Yeah, that was a little. That was for, for even for all the product placement happening in this movie, I was like, come on, chill, chill, guys.
2: Chill, to- Dodge, with your <laughs> orange seat seatbelt. I I just want to say the one last thing about Margot Robbie's hotness is like, we go to the movies to experience different POVs than ourselves, right? I am pretty. Like I know I'm pretty. I experience the world. I have advantages because I'm this level of pretty. She is on a whole other level of pretty. That's what I'm saying. I love a movie where it was like, this is what it's really like to experience being this beautiful. And it doesn't mean that you can't be sad, but like, really show us what it's fucking like to be fucking Barbie and like commit to that. I wanna go to the movies because I wanna know what's it fucking like to be a man? What is it really like to be a man? what is it like to be somebody of a different race, gender, cre- like, do you know what I'm saying? That's yeah, well, why we go
1: to the movies. I mean, mm. that that was also so strange when she has that, she finally gets to the real world. And that was the moment where you're like, oh, we're really, we're really meant to be on Barbie's side and seeing this world through Barbie's eyes. But it was so, you know, she just was like, I'm so sad, I'm being treated like an object. I'm being all this. But we're also there like, wait a minute, you would, in Venice Beach, are you kidding me? Looking like that? You'd get signed to a model, you know what I mean? Like, all of those things are true, but there wasn't room, again, not being a nuanced – there wasn't room for the nuance because there was a lot there. But they were like, we're taking this take. And then just as we were talking about her moment with the with the Gen Z Bratz doll who reads her, calls her fascist, it was really subtle. But, like, it was just – if they were going to have that moment, her reaction was – there. I guess there's a version where you're like, it's, it's the white tears, right? She goes and she cries because she's like, oh, my God, this girl thinks I'm a fascist. But she has enough – in her, in that moment, to be like, and I actually like was never in charge. It was like just such a subtle like. And by the way, like, how could I be a fascist? I was like, I don't have any enough power to do that. It was like a a, a really important subtle moment for Mattel, right? Of like, we hear you, we hear the criticism, but like, we actually have no, we we're not we're not the government, we don't have any power. Leave that to the officials. Mm. Why are you so mad at the dolls? Mm. And like that was an underlying theme and agenda and i was like that told me everything i needed to know about how to watch the rest of the movie mm. right and it's like those execs literally it's like they put fucking elf
2: as the ceo and he's like the will ferrell's the most fucking lovable got, white guy in the whole world so like even if he's playing evil you're like totally he's like i'm nights. too
1: dumb to be evil And I'm not even evil because I actually want good things. I'm just too dumb to figure it out. It was totally like propaganda for Mattel.
0: And I think it's telling, at least for me, that the Mattel executive storyline was the weakest storyline in the entire movie. It like didn't make any sense. I didn't understand what they, other than to like put Barbie away, I don't understand what they wanted. I didn't understand if they, it seems like they changed at the end, but I was like, how did they change Which I think is telling because like that is the place where you could critique the capitalism of it all. And it's like, it falls apart because clearly like if there was going to be any actual substantive critique of like Mattel's role in this, the Mattel executives would have been like, oh, you can't fucking put this in your movie. Um, No, thank you. Just keep it to the, keep it to the fake jokes. Thank you very much. That's all that we will allow. I do want to talk really quickly about, uh, before we go to the awards, about, like, the this movie's success and what this means f- for the fucking future of, I guess, movies, Hollywood, the studio system. Because, like, as we mentioned up top, this movie's already made half a billion dollars in one week of its release, and it is shattering records. So if there was, like, any doubt in anyone's mind that, like, a big, splashy, IP-driven movie... With a female director and a female lead, couldn't do the thing like this. You're, it's wrong. You, you know, like, like. So I think because of this movie's success, we're going to see more of this kind of stuff. This kind of filmmaking, television making, centered around these big pieces of IP. It's already been announced that Lena Dunham will be directing the Polly Pocket movie uh, slated to release next year. Right, starring one of our favorite Nepo babies, Lily Collins. (laughs) So yeah, it's very conflicting because I really love Gre- Greta Gerwig as a filmmaker, as an actor, as a writer. I really love Margot Robbie as a performer. like, And I, I do think she was very good she in this amazing. role. She really and
2: was. And Ryan Gosling was, um, she Incredible. was amazing. And Ryan Gosling was amazing. Yeah, they, they were, were both so good, phenomenal. He should get an Oscar nomination, you know? Yeah. He was so good. He was so good. So like,
0: I I, I want to support these filmmakers, I want to support them in their endeavors. I'm I'm glad that Greta now basically has like a blank check to be able to do whatever she wants to do after this. I think she's going to be doing like Chronicle of Narnia movies for Netflix. So like kind of in the same, <laughs> the, the same realm. Um, so it's conflicting. I like. I'm. I'm. I guess I'm glad like a, a female centered movie was this successful, but I'm. I'm. I'm bummed that it was like centered around this massive piece of IP because I think this is going to drive more of the way that that films get uh, developed and financed in the studio systems.
2: I mean, I think the IP thing has been happening. You know, it, mm. it, yeah, with Marvel and everything, it's kind of been a long time coming. I think we're at such a fractured time in the business right now. Um, it's such a weird transitional time, which is, you know, it's. There's trends or what's going to stick after the strike. Um, I don't think IP is going anywhere, but I do think that, um, you know, I'm contrasting everything I just said. Like, I do think this is a win for women. Um, I think this is a win for letting directors like do their thing. And I hope that it draws more confidence in female directors. I mean, I have to. I, well, I have to be hopeful.
1: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think both things are true. Like, it's a win. And it's just taking Marvel and painting it pink. Like, if you will, just to use Barbie's own analogy, it was happening. And I think Mattel saw that. And they're like, how can we do that? Like, the same shit has happened. Nothing changes. Nobody wins further under that. Like, we get a win with a very near glass ceiling, which is like, great. Now, maybe the one person, like, women can start to do what 1% of men started to do. And hopefully that'll, like, I think this is part of what ties back to what we're fighting for in the strike and in labor and how we want to change and what you were saying, Jesse, about, like, changing the literal structure of the entertainment industry because we are left to feel like, I guess we can just hope for the best that, like, now that the 1% of directors who get to make this much money off a blockbuster hit changes, we can pray that that trickles down. But like we know trickle down economy, trickle down fucking shit doesn't work. So like, yeah, while it is a win, it's also like I'm fighting for being like, but don't tell me that that's the win. And we need structural change so that we can all be making the films we want to make. Because I don't give a fuck if like there's one. now we now the 1% has shifted and it's a woman and the 1% it's still 1% getting to make films. But it's, I I think in the larger discourse, like just look at the conversation that we just had for the past
2: hour. If it was like the latest Marvel movie, like we wouldn't have any, I would have nothing to say. I would have nothing to critique. And I think, you know, what's that James Baldwin quote? Like, I love America, therefore, like I get to critique her. And I feel like we hmm. love with being women. We love talking about feminism. We love talking about bodies and dolls and childhoods and repression and trauma. And it's like, The fact that this conversation, like I love that it's happening and therefore I get to critique it as a woman.
1: I love that. And I would just open that to everyone to be like, if you're, I think if anything in the active discourse is like if you feel yourself being like, I don't even want to talk about it because I don't want to ruin it. Like
2: if you didn't love Barbie, you're not alone. There's help for you. (laughs) Watch democracy now and do not shave your armpits.
1: Just briefly. I mean, I know we kind of touched on this, but. Jesse, you sent me something from a stylist that you work with who does sustainable styling and just, I thought it was an it was an infographic, but it was just, I think, important to point out about how one of the real world repercussions of the marketing of this film, of this film as a quote unquote cultural phenomenon is that people are going to fast fashion to barbify their closets. And it's one of those, you know, that's the problem with girl boss feminism is we want to ignore the, the repercussions of like there are women who are women of color working 60 cents an hour in these sweatshops to make those clothing and people just are so disconnected from that like it is you are it is not a feminist thing and like yes consumerism under capital is very complex but like we can make different choices so just and what did just, she say just use your
2: hand-me-downs use, yeah. use your hand-me-downs and do resale and um repurpose stuff and dye stuff on your own um i mean i'm i do you think it's really cool to have just color, like literal color? More, you know, we we just become such a gray society. No offense, Frank, to your shirt, but um, <laughs> you know, we it's just become so drab. It's, so it's, it's like navy, but okay. I think any kind of color, pink, in into the into society is good. But yeah, just like reuse what you have and do clothing swaps and shop secondhand.
0: Thank you. I will have you know that these drab clothes are all thrifted. So <laughs> nice. All right, Jesse. This is the point in the episode where we hand out awards for this movie. We've got three of them. The first one is called "A Point with a View." This goes to the character with the best politics in the movie.
2: What do you, I don't know? America. All or right. America? Uh,
0: yeah, I would say America Ferrara's character. I forget her character's name off the top of my head, but really, she seems to.
2: Yeah, I I think wow. so. I
0: mean, I don't I think I don't think anyone in this movie has really discernible politics other than like patriarchy bad, like feminism good. But America Ferrara is the is a real person. She's one of the only, <laughs> like, three real human characters in this movie. Um, and she does have that that speech, which I think is a really beautiful speech of her, you know, describing the conflicting, contradicting frustrations of being a woman, which I, which I thought really resonated.
2: Oh, my God, Frank. Do you guys watch Below Deck?
0: I have seen it.
2: Okay, it really is, like, the best take on late-stage capitalism, upstairs, downstairs, <laughs> but... Daisy on Below Deck Sailing Yacht, I'll send it to you. Link it in the show notes. She gives Mm -hmm. the most incredible speech about because she's fucking the engineer and then he calls her a slut and she's like, I'm uptight if I don't and I'm done, what do? And she's like drinking Chardonnay and it's such a better version of the America speech. So I'll send that to you.
0: Is there any chance that Greta... Uh, like rip this off from below deck
2: No 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 I just think it's okay. like It's it's seen somebody in real time Make those realizations mm. And it's alive in a way that the movie version isn't Not that the movie version's bad but Gotcha
1: Yeah
0: well I, I mean yeah I'd say America Ripka did you have someone else?
1: I'm torn between The daughter Yeah the daughter I thought the daughter oh, had far yeah. better politics than her mom that's a good point. Yep. But what about, okay, we actually, this is a good chance because we didn't even touch on my actual favorite Barbie, which now I can't remember. What was the Kate McKinnon's Barbie called? That was my favorite Barbie. Oh, my God.
0: Weird oh my Barbie. Weird Barbie. Great.
1: Like, weird Barbie great, also potentially had touch. the best politics. And then poor weird Barbie at the end. They're like, we don't care about your storyline, and you're going to pick up garbage. That's your job. That was brilliant. Head like, of sanitation. Barbie, we. We've all had the weird Barbie. That was fucking brilliant. I, I loved I
2: weird, watch a Barbie. weird Barbie. Barbie spinoff, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, Weird
0: Barbie was great. Depressed Barbie was hilarious near the end, uh, where they were like going through all of like the the things that like happen that women experience when they're depressed. It's like it's like Depressed Barbie eats an entire package of Starburst in one sitting. Watches the entirety of the BBC Pride and Prejudice from
1: the two thousands. Yeah. Well, so our next award is Despicable You. This goes to the character with the worst politics in the movie.
0: Probably got to be any one of the different men that Ken talks to in Century City. Just like, I, I guess just the men of Century City.
2: Oh, no. California. The, the man, this was brilliant. I think it's the man who literally was like, sorry, you're a white guy. We don't have any jobs for you. And then he's like, no, we really do. We just, yeah, we just yeah, yeah, like yeah. That was about good. It. Like,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. He
2: was my favorite. And I love how much this movie made fun of L.A. Like,
1: well done.
0: All of the Century City jokes were just perfect. So good.
1: Yeah, Uh, and even though he was a lovable, um, goofy, dumb guy, like the head of Mattel, like, right? Not great. Like, I didn't think he was great. Yeah,
0: Not great. I also, like, again, I don't understand what, that whole storyline was it was like it's like it's like we're we're the men of Mattel yes we acknowledge that we're all men but we care about the women although we're not demonstrating that we care about the women and then at the end it was just like what what I I I I literally it was such a weak storyline I don't even remember how they resolved it
1: yeah like there was your I think Josie and the Pussycats is a perfect analogy to like something that really was like actual sat like this to me did not i was like i don't know that this is satire i don't really know what yeah. this is mm-hmm. but like the satire would have gone there because you have to with satire you have to know so clearly what your satire like what the message is mm. also didn't i love the whispers. send me a whisper though but, like all the little <laughs> jokes were fun
0: and our last award this will be a good one for this for this movie this is called a star is scorned this goes to any of the supporting characters that this movie should actually be about
2: literally any of the other barbies like weird <laughs> barbie president barbie yeah. um sick barbie like just to have any of them have any kind of arc and i bet they it like I to be a coming. fucking trans barbie like what's that movie yeah i bet they're all coming
1: but i mean yeah, i think delving into any of those characters would have been awesome. awesome or the little girl more about yeah i guess to fill in the Stuff that wasn't there, like, why do you hate why do how did you get so radicalized?
2: Riv, what did you think of the husband, the white
1: husband, the Cise Oh my God. <laughs> I like it was so funny because I didn't it just again, that was like another microcosm of like that that like just how they treated him was I was like, I know who these household is. Of like, what did she say? Or she's like, that's um appropriation. She's like, Dad, that's appropriation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which, again, I'm like, where's she? What's her story? And she knows all this, but also where they're like, silly white guy. Like, he felt, you know, I don't know. He was funny. Was no, fine. no kid. Like, kids
2: are so much funnier than that. No young person that I know is like, that's appropriation. Like, they're so no. much funnier. Have you ever been roasted by a Gen Z? Like, you will. <laughs> it is terrifying. It happens to <laughs> me all the time. They are so fucking funny. And she deserved more than like the millennials take on what yes, Gen Z is. Totally.
0: Yeah. i they've gotten me in the TikTok comments occasionally and it it it, it hurts. It hurts. Oh my a lot.
1: God. Send me screenshot. <laughs> okay. I I feel like we could have this conversation for like three more hours because there's so much we didn't even touch on. But before <laughs> we let you go, Jesse, we love to discuss with our guests how we as artists and people strive to practice our values in our own lives with all of its complexities and contradictions as we discussed so is there is there something in your life that you practice or engage with that you would like to share
2: well you know obviously the strike i think i just got back from vacation and i do feel like that's very anti-capitalist like two weeks seeing family spending time with my 103 year old grandmother Going to Maine with my boyfriend's family, shitting in the woods, uh, making communal dinners. It's like very commune vibes. Going to Bread and Puppet in Vermont. I don't know if you guys know Bread and Puppet. Yeah. Like very socialist, radical puppetry collective um, from from the seven, started in the seventies. So I think you know, eating, having sex, like having sex, it, it's like not productive. You know what I mean? It's like literally, I'm gonna like take time in the middle of the day. I did it yesterday. Like, I'm going to take, okay, it's three o'clock. Like, let's be unproductive (laughs) and have sex for pleasure. You know, know, just for the purpose of having pleasure. I feel like people always think, or I always think like, oh God, I'm not marching and I'm not doing all the things. And it's like, what are the small ways? Like, it can be fun to be anti-capitalist. It can be pleasurable and enjoyable.
0: That's a really good one. No one said that yet on the podcast. (laughs) Just like, be fucking more. Yeah, be f- for sure. Be
2: fucking. Come first. <laughs>
0: Jesse, <laughs> where can our audience find you and your work?
2: Um, I'm in Barbie Land. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I'm on Instagram at Jesse Comweiler. I think is my name is my name. I think that's my name. Um, and then my website worth all my work is JesseComweiler uh,
0: well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for seeing this movie. You are probably going to see it even if we didn't ask you to. But uh, thank you for being our guest for this. Uh, this was this is a great conversation. I really appreciate
2: it. It was great. Thanks, guys. Bye, Barbie. <laughs> Thank you all
0: so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you've been enjoying the show, consider
1: becoming a supporter.
0: You can find all of that info at mvcpod.com.
1: For next week's movie, we'll be watching the 2002 drama, John Q, with special guest Senator Nina Turner.
0: Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week.
1: Bye, Barbie.